We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get an his nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. This is about DeMar Hamlin, and um, it's about a young man at 24 years old that was living his dream, that a few hours ago was getting ready to play the biggest game of his NFL career, and there was probably nowhere else in the world he wanted to be. And now he fights for his life. And when DeMar Hamlin falls to the turf and when you see the medical staff rush to the field and both teams or on the field, you realize this isn't normal. You realize this isn't just football. And so many times in this game, and in our job as well, we use the cliches, you know, I'm ready to die for this. I'm willing to give my life for this. It's, it's time to go to war. And I think sometimes we use those things so much, we forget that part of living this dream is putting your life at risk. And tonight, you know, we got to see a side of football that is extremely ugly, a side of football that no one ever, that side of football that no one ever wants to see Mm -hmm. or never wants to admit exists. When you see both teams on the field crying in that way, your first thought is DeMar Hamlin. The second thought is his family. And this isn't about a football player, right? This is about a human. This is about a brother. This is about a son. This is about a friend. This is about someone who is loved by so many that you have to watch go through this. I, um, I dealt with this before, and I watched my teammates for days come to my hospital bed and just cry. I had them call me and tell me that they didn't think I was going to make it, and now this team has to deal with that, and they have no answers. Mm-hmm. And so the next time I think that we get upset at our favorite fantasy player <laughs> or we're, we're upset that the, the guy on our team doesn't make the play, and we're saying he's worthless, and we're saying you get to make all this money, we should remember that these men are putting their lives on the line to live their dream, 
And tonight, DeMar Hamlin's dream became a nightmare for not only himself, but his family and his entire team. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And here with us in studio is uh, Rock Sports Network's Ryan Lasel. And that was ESPN's Ryan Clark talking about, I mean, let's face it, it's, it's the only thing to talk about right now. Um, just talking about Damar Hamlin and the, unf- just, I don't even think unfortunate is the right word, tragic. Tragic, yeah. Tragic events of Monday night. Masterclass by Ryan Clark. Yeah, I mean, masterclass by the majority of the ESPN, and and frankly, we'll talk later. The Buffalo news media has handled this really well too. I mean, but Ryan Clark, Lisa Salters, Susie Colber, Booger McFarlane, Scott Van Pelt, just all Schefter. of them. I left him out for a reason, Chris. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean it was tremendous to hear how they handled an absolute impossible situation i mean this was difficult for you and i to talk about Mm -hmm. and we've been removed two days yeah so imagine in the moment thrust into something and to give the empathetic honest raw to go on live television and have that level of poignance uh just the a grasp of the situation, I guess, if, if you want to call it that, I, I was impressed. Yeah, absolutely. I was absolutely impressed. Guys, I want to start tonight's show with something of a, I'll call it a disclaimer. No one is ever going to accuse me of being a sensitive person. I'm not a person who's tact and uh, prose will ever be talked about like Hemingway or Twain or Ryan Clark. I'm just a guy. Just a guy who drinks beer, has a really deep-rooted love of a sports team, and it's that it plays a game that's probably best defined. I think it was you who used this term, Ryan. Uh, property acquisition through violence. Yep. It's football is at its core a churched-up version of those ancient gladiatorial arts that so many people today look at like barbarism. And that will obviously safer is still incredibly dangerous, which is to the to the core of what Ryan Clark was discussing in the clip that we just heard. There's a lot of people in our content creation sphere who took this week off, and I and I completely respect that. They they took it out of respect for Demar Hamlin, for his family, respect for the Bills as a franchise, and respect for the people of the city of Buffalo. And I I understand. I understand that if you feel that you either just that your words can't help or that there's nobody out there or or if you just yourself don't know how to approach a situation, I absolutely understand not, not not doing a podcast because realistically, Ryan, what are we talking about? This is a this is a hobby. This is a this is escapism about escapism. But this studio, this chair, this microphone right here, like this is where I go when I'm seeking catharsis. When I need to find perspective, I sit here. I do this. I talk to Chris. Not always in the most glowing terms. 
Sometimes, sometimes I come down here for an entire night and just fight with Chris the entire time. None of you know it. Chris, Chris will be seething by the time I leave some nights. Yeah. But I love him. And I come here because this is where, when I need to get my head around things, I feel like sitting here and doing this is where I get the best perspective on it. And I'm also here talking tonight because I feel like, I feel like there's a conversation to be had that like there is something to offer, that there is something more than just simple entertainment, some snarky jokes, you know, a, a salty comment about Skyline Chili, but in no way, shape or form do I think I'm the voice of anyone else. This fan base, I don't speak for all of them or any of you listening to this, nor would I want to. I just, I speak for myself and every week you guys show up and listen because when I talk, Chris talks, you guys find that it does something for you. So I guess just like whether the stuff we talk about here during these shows, whether it makes you feel like you've learned something, whether it you know makes you contemplative, whether it just makes you laugh, you know, it's you felt something when you listen to our show. That's why you keep coming back. And that's always been at the core of what this is. Ryan, you've listened, you've been a listener of our show for a long time. You've been here. You've done this with us. You and I have been creating content together for years. I feel like, I feel like I've tried to let that come through in what we do here. Do you, do you think that we accomplish that more often than not? Yeah, I think the folks that are listening to this show with the title, knowing what it's going to be about, are here because they want to hear what you have to say. And like you said, for whatever reason, uh, people want to hear what Drew Gear has to say about the Buffalo Bills. And they want to hear Chris's reaction to what Drew Gear has to say. And if they haven't shut it off already or they read my name and they're still listening, for whatever reason, they want to <laughs> listen to what I have to say. And that's... You know, you asked me to come on Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, and I know I reached out to you yesterday and said, are you, are we still doing this? Like I completely understand everybody processes trauma differently and let's not mince words. What we saw on Monday was trauma and everyone processes it differently. For some it's to isolate, not talk about it, consume information from other places those folks that don't want to do podcasts that's how they're choosing to deal with it for the folks that don't have an outlet and just want to hear someone talk about it that's what we're here for that's 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 why we decided that's why i decided to come still come out drive an hour to come talk to come hang out and talk with you guys because it's this is selfishly it's cathartic for me well, but, but, but unselfishly, hopefully it's cathartic for some other folks as well and that's it that's what this that's been the goal of this podcast it has been and always will be is the pursuit of catharsis through conversation. So I'm hoping that tonight through discussion, we can wheat collectively you hearing this in your car and your headphones somewhere in your office. You, you with us, we can all find some semblance of that. We're also coming closer together as sports fans, as Buffalonians, both real and honorary, just, just people. I don't know. And just continue to lift up one of our own and Damar Hamlin and his family. And just trying to take some steps out of the shadows of this, this horrific incident together. 
I think the only proper place to start the conversation is with kind of what I want people to walk away from this most is Damar Hamlin and just how this entire incident has put humanity on display. I was first introduced to Damar Hamlin in 2021 mm-hmm. through a publication called GoLongToTD.com. It's a Substack and a complimentary podcast owned by our friend and Buffalonian Tyler Dunn. Now, Tyler Dunn is a well-recognized journalist. He has a book out. He uh, he does hits with some of the biggest networks and some of the biggest personalities. One of the things that I find most valuable about what he does is that his articles aren't just about uh, like about the players or about the game. They're written with the players. He tells their stories, shows you who they are as men, not just as athletes, brings humanity to, to this thing that can oftentimes, with the advent of fantasy football and just sports in general, like you, we can often find ourselves seeing these guys as automatons. Yeah, they're just out there doing this thing for our entertainment. They're human beings, and he works really hard to highlight the individuality of these people. And in some cases, it's even for the players, because it does tear down the walls between a guy we see running around in jersey and a pad on Sundays and a 24-year-old kid from McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania, who beat the odds of family tragedy, gang violence, poverty, and growing up in an area with a docile death rates that would make the hardest men on earth hug their kids a little harder every morning. I mean, when you think about what DeMar Hamlin's story has been, you go back and you read that article. Father in jail at the age of 12? Dead. He has to go to work. He doesn't have a childhood. He basically has to grow up quickly. Uh, and, you know, by his own admission, more than half the people he grew up knowing were dead before they could legally buy a drink. It's like you learn about the inspiring and almost heartbreaking reason he chose Pitt when he had 48 other collegiate offers. He chose to stay home and go to Pitt. You find out about how injuries almost completely derailed his career and made him doubt everything, everything he'd ever done with his life. I also learned a lot about the people around him, the love that his mother had for him. Hamlin's drive not just to be great at football, but the fact that after being forced to grow up and accept adulthood responsibilities at such a young age, his drive wasn't fame. It wasn't, I want to be rich and get a Bugatti, and I want to be, you know, I want to go. It was, I want to be a role model and someone who can tangibly impact the lives of kids like me so that there's fewer of them growing up like that. Or at least the ones who are might find some direction. And just more importantly, you walk away from it going through pain and suffering, circumstantial, physical, emotional. Damar Hamlin is a warrior who's... So all of this comes from an article at GoLongTD.com. Tyler Dunn took it out from behind his paywall at his website and put it out there for public consumption because he felt that it was important in the aftermath of all this. I'm begging you to go check it out. Go from this person that we're all here with prayers and well wishes. Go learn about the human behind this. And so it's with this human element that Ty works so hard to bring to the forefront of sports discourse that's kind of in all of our hearts and minds right now that we sit here tonight.
with him being embraced by people all around the world, and I felt like it was only right to get a little bit of his perspective. And so with that, we welcome Tyler Dunn, Go On Football, to the show. Tyler, thank thank you, first of all, for taking time out of your night. Um, I, I was told by Ryan here, I didn't even realize it, so you, you had a spot today at ESPN. You just informed me you recorded your podcast. I'm, I'm happy that you also... It's it's hard, isn't it, talking about this? It is. You know, I think um it especially being there Monday night and you know, sharing the binoculars with uh I think it was Armando Square with Outkick dot com and I forgot my binoculars. I gotta remember to bring those next time. And it to, to look through those and to see a twenty four year old young man trying to live, you know, fighting for his life. CPR. I mean, and then to see the reactions, the Bills players one by one, kind of making their way toward the scene, and then seeing it, and then walking away. It, it was really very, very clear very soon that this was not your typical. Um, you know, we're, it's so even. It's crazy, but we've become so desensitized, right? It's mm-hmm. normalized. You just see a stretcher, even an ambulance. I mean, Dane Jackson. That collision looked a hundred times worse than this one, but. It's taken away. He's back playing in a couple weeks. This just crossed a whole new threshold of violence in the sport of football that none of us, nobody, was prepared for. Because it because it made it real. That's the thing. It's right. if you're walking down the street and you see an ambulance and someone being backboarded in there, it's jarring. And yet we've normalized it in our minds, and I think the players, to a certain degree, have normalized it in their minds that this is a thing that could happen to us and they accept that to a point and then something like this happens and it's just horrifying and it really does bring the human element right back to the forefront of everybody's mind and i think that like i think that's why you're the perfect person for us to be talking to about this a little bit tonight because first of all thank you for making that 2021 hamlin piece you did public for everybody i i just when you wrote it i read it when you originally put it together and you know, I, it was it was amazing. You know, we just got done kind of telling our listeners all about it. Um, for you, having sat in the room with the man and listened to him tell an unfiltered version of his life story, this has to be heartbreaking, right? It, it really is. I think, um, yeah, it's and this is th- this is someone who had a very clear purpose in life. I mean, he. He wakes up in the morning and it's not just, oh, I'm good at football. I'm going to go through the motions, you know, punch in at nine, punch out at four, go back home, you know, play some video games, eat, turn to work and collect my paycheck. And, you know, right, I'm not saying maybe bashing that, but that's a lot of guys in the NFL. It's a job. Now, like a lot of people, we forget that. I mean, that's, that's something that really opened my eyes to covering football. Um, I think I, my, my first year on the Packers beat full time. And you see them like lose this crushing playoff loss, and as fans, you you think, oh, all these guys are just like devastated the next day. But no, this is a job. They go back home to their families. Well, like Demar Hammond had a very clear purpose. Like he he wanted this skill that he has, um, and he was the number one recruit in the entire state of Pennsylvania on the defensive side of the ball. He, he wanted this to be a source of inspiration for kids who are in the exact same position that he was in, in McKeese Rocks, just outside of Pittsburgh. And he 
really detailed everything that went into his childhood from being 12 years old inside of a courtroom kind of knowing what's going on but not really knowing what's going on and just seeing his own father uh taken away and he was sentenced to 10 years for the intent to sell drugs he spent uh, three and a half years behind bars and, and those were just three and a half years that were so so crucial to his development at age 12 to 15 you know and simultaneously he's losing friends i mean really that early he's some of his friends are succumbing to you know stray bullets and and, and not even like quote unquote joining a gang or um get involved with drugs it's just the, the, part of the area it's like you could be at the wrong place wrong time very very easily so his mom really helped shield him from that um and had him help out at her cleaning business i mean he'd work till midnight uh the next day he'd you know, maybe he didn't have lunch, and he'd have to have some of his buddies' lunch. Maybe they'd even have heat in their home working in the middle of the Pittsburgh winter. He's seen so much. He has lived such a hard life that it really gave him a um, a reason to get up in the morning and work and live. And uh, and it was to make sure, you know, his own brother. I mean, that's why he stayed at Pitt. I mean, he could have gone to Clemson, Notre Dame. Ohio State, Penn State, I think he had 48 scholarship offers. Mm-hmm. He chose the college right around the corner because he knew his, his little brother would be watching him. And it's it's like, so having, so knowing that you put, took the time to learn all of this about him, get to know him as a person, and then you watch this happen, it's, it's a punch in the gut. Not just because you did an interview with him once, but because I know how you approach your craft professionally. It's it's one of the things I love about being a go-long member and just getting to know you through stuff like this. I mean, I hate that it's under these circumstances that we're getting together right now, but it's like, as I was explaining to our listeners, your work is genuinely geared towards highlighting the people behind the Jersey. And I, and just kind of showcasing the humanity and the personalities that make up this sport that we all gravitate to and love. And that can be really tough sledding in a world where short attention span rules. <laughs> and, and, and there's so many tragedies happening around us, especially here in Buffalo over the course of the last year, yeah. that it, you can, uh, it would be very easy for a cynical person to almost become numb to them. So with that in mind, just with how raw this is and how close you were to it, how refreshing is it to see people embracing Hamlin and his family and his teammates in the aftermath of this? Yeah, it's it's his dream being realized. I don't even know what the number's at. It was pretty wild earlier today. I, I got around to uh, trying to make sense of this with, with a column at my site. And as I was writing, you know, whatever it took, a few hours, um, I got to the part where I mentioned you know, how much money uh, was be, was raised in the GoFundMe for Chase and M's and I mean, there's a whole story there on you know how he came up with this idea, but the goal was 2,500. As we know, I don't even know what it's at now. But as I'm writing this, it's going up by like one two hundred thousand by the half hour. <laughs> it was unbelievable the outpouring of support. We obviously see this in Buffalo all the time. I mean, Andy Dalton throws a pass to Tyler Boyd, and they go to the playoffs, and their foundations just explode with funds. Um, so I had a feeling with Tamar Hamlin, this was going to be something we've never seen before because it's like that. It's what we see in Buffalo, but at a, at a, at a national scale, oh, probably a worldwide scale. And, and could, we all saw it on Monday Night Football. Um, in that exact moment, football stopped mattering at all. 
Nobody cared about the sport. It was about a 24-year-old fighting for his life, and it's something that everybody can relate to. So I think that this is, yeah, everything we talked about him wanting to be an inspiration for kids in McKees Rocks and hoping, you know, that there's mentors in place for these kids that might not have a dad around at a very important stage of their life. Uh, his dream is being realized. These, these kids, I, I just have a good feeling that this this money and this energy that's being sent his way is, is going to be for good. Chris just and pulled I, the number. I was just it's, te- texting. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say Chris just pulled the number. It's up to $6.7 million. That's unbelievable. I mean, there's a player I was uh, night text with here and there, and and I, I think this is a general sentiment from a lot of players. Even I think some have even tweeted about it. And it's they just can't wait for Demar Hamlin to wake up and see the love and support and everything that's happening right now because this is this is what he dreamed of. One hundred percent. Does this outpouring of love and support that you're seeing in this idea? I mean, because I, I, you and I kind of were texting about it and. It's funny, you and I were texting about it as it was happening. I didn't know you were at the game. I, I was just like, who, who can I talk to who I know might feel a little bit of what I'm feeling right now? And I reached out, and this is why I love you. You, you responded to me. You, you have no reason to. I'm just some jerk with a beard. Oh, but I was, I'm sure it was terrible, and I apologize. It was so crazy. No, dude, my, you have I, no I idea. My wife and my parents will tell you I, wasn't, I was not very texty, so but, I, but this, I apologize. It was no, probably very short. Thank you. <laughs> no, but this is my point. Like... This is why we're doing our show tonight is because sometimes you just it's even just it's the simple things. It's the little response. Just knowing that there's somebody else who feels the way I feel in this moment with this thing happening. So knowing what I know about you and the way you approach your craft here and seeing this just overwhelming support, does it give you hope that the way you approach your brand of journalism truly is making a difference and that there is a space where this can help and that maybe some of this takes hold with more permanence? That is such a great question. And, and it's exactly what I was wrestling with these last, whatever it is, 48 to 72 hours. I mean, I'm driving back from Cincinnati through this rainstorm, doing a few of these radio calls. And I'm just trying to think like, you know, I actually sit down and, and try to make sense of what we just witnessed. Like, what's the takeaway? Um, and it's, early i think to just start bashing the nfl although i've I've done my share and there's some of that in the story today um i but it's hard to have a really strong take you know that you shove in the oven and set at 600 degrees it's just like we're all just kind of numb and figuring out what to even think but if there is something to take away i just hope that everybody looks at these football players as, as human beings and we're all guilty of it one way or another um, the league, the coaches, uh, you know, personnel, fans, media, everybody. I mean, it's you know, we're setting fantasy football lineups and you know, plugging a name in here, and the league is just you know, handing out these ridiculous taunting fines and you know, talking about player safety out of one side of their mouth, but then making guys play on three days rest for Thursday night football because Jeff Bezos throws a bunch of money in their face. Now, preseason games are just so worthless. I mean, mm-hmm. ne- needless games produce needless injuries there. I, I, I just think that we just if we just remember that all of these guys come from somewhere, because Demar Hamlin's rise, his upbringing, he that's normal. That's not abnormal. I mean, look down at that field. There's Isaiah McKenzie, South Florida, yeah. finding a dead body on his doorstep, getting grazed by a bullet once. I mean, he's opened up about that on our show. Uh, 
Tyrell Dotson, same thing. He came on our podcast one time, and his upbringing in Tennessee, really rough. Um, Taiwan Jones, I mean, he, he talks about shootouts like it's getting a cup of coffee at Starbucks in the morning. I mean, he saw him regularly. He was around it. It's just like lifestyle. And it's all of these guys, um, They yeah, they're entertaining for millions of people, um, but they're also – they know that they've got neighborhoods in, in their hometowns, and, and there could be just a few kids that, you know, they could, they could change their lives just by their presence alone. So let, let's remember that element of everything when we watch a football game. Absolutely. Tyler, I thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for giving us your, your just your insights, your emotions here. I, I love the work you're doing. I think that you and I both have a similar view of athletes. Uh, mine, because I just I was lucky enough to grow up with a father who was buddies with a bunch of them, so you see them differently. For a lot of people, it's hard to get that perspective, and I'm I'm just happy that there's someone there to do it. Especially in this case, there's someone who wrote just this phenomenal piece about a guy who, right now, I think that. It's important that we remember that that is somebody's son, that's somebody's role model, that's somebody's older brother, that's somebody's nephew. I just keep doing the work you're doing because I believe that what we're seeing now should be the norm. This is the way we should embrace these players. It's the way we should embrace any the people that we love who do things for entertainment like this. And you're, like I said, you're just you're out here doing an incredible job, um, guys. You oh, can, I appreciate that, man. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you, uh, guys. You can find all of his work over at GoLongTD.com. Uh, Tyler, anything you want to say before you get out of here? I just think if an Ellicottville guy and a North Towns guy can come together and talk about life and football, that's good for humanity, right? That's uh, that's always a good thing. Chris Tyler Dunn, Gem. I don't know why he, it's still weird got, to you, isn't it? He's got Cowherd's number, but he'll respond to you and come on to this podcast. I love him. I just I and I love what he's doing and I love the work he does and it's because of him that I know what I know about Tamar Hamlin, which I think made the incident that much heavier. It's it's knowing what I knew about Damar Hamlin because of him and his efforts. That I watched that horrific play unfold, and I'm man enough to to admit that it rattled me. And I know that I'm not alone in that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now I'm going to preface this, Chris, as we move forward. If you're squeamish or still 
too sensitive to the situation to hear this statement from Demar Hamlin's uncle Dorian Glenn, who was watching the game on TV with Demar Hamlin's little brother. I would urge you to please fast forward about two minutes. We were in Pittsburgh watching it on TV, and his little brother was there with us. And um, when he seen his brother drop like that, and when I tell you I never seen him crash, scream like that, like we were trying to calm him down, like, yo, it's okay, you know, he'll gonna get back up, he'll be back in the game, you know, we'll do the woo. Next thing you know, it's 10 minutes later, they're doing chest compressions. It's a half hour later, they still not playing yet. I'm like, yo, what's going on? What's wrong with my nephew? And then, like, when I say, like, now we were all in the room crying. Man, we were all in tears, man. And I'm not a crier, but like I, I never crashed so hard in my life, man. Just just to know like like my nephew basically died on the field and they brought him back to life. I mean, that's just heartbreaking. And to see all those grown men crying and all the emotion, man, it just it, it really was a gut punch, man. And I would have been crying no matter who it was, but for it to be my nephew, it just it had that much more impact on me, man. And I'm just glad he's still alive and able to fight um and trying to get better and recover. That's that's the stuff in nightmares right there. I I mean we've all everybody has had tragedy, seen tragedy in our lifetimes. I've never had to have it play out on national television in front of kids, in front of kids who understand, who are old enough to be impacted. Now do we have an update on Demar Hamlin's health as of today? As of right now. Because the last I had heard, he was progressing. He was doing well. Chris, have there been any recent developments since we started recording the podcast? I will go to the Bill's Twitter account right now. And as of right now, which is 7.05 on Wednesday, what they put out five hours ago, DeMar remains in the ICU in critical condition with signs of improvement. Noted yesterday and overnight, he is expected to remain under intensive care as his health care team continues to monitor and treat him. First of all, I want to raise a glass. Guys, cheers to DeMar. Okay. Can you... Im- I, I have a hard time because I, I keep... Like, whenever I do, it's this weird thing we do, right? Because we're, as human beings, we're kind of self-centered. And you start thinking about, well, me, and, you know, I came here tonight sort of prepared to talk about my experience. And I'm realizing as we're talking about it here tonight that my experience doesn't fucking matter. How I took this in doesn't matter. It does, but it doesn't. It matters to me, and that's it. It's localized. In the grand scheme of things... Like there's a there's a guy admitting that he doesn't cry and he shed tears. I can see that. Now, when you think about where you were, Chris, you were at work. Close, I was here. Oh, you were here. Yeah, it's a month, it was ten minutes so into you the were football still, game. So you were still home. You yeah. hadn't left for work yet. Yeah, I was sitting there upstairs with Jessica and the dogs and watching Monday Night Football and. You know, you you saw that he went down, and my initial reaction was, you know, just like any other injury or serious type injury, like we referenced Dane Jackson with the ambulance coming on the field, and then everything changed when they said they had to administer CPR. 
Ryan, when you were watching at home, you were we were talking before we came on the show. Can walk through that, like, yeah. So, so I I put my put my daughter to bed, and you know my wife being the team player that she is, just you know said I'll I'll do Evan's bedtime, and my wife's a stay at home mother, so I try to do as much when I'm home as I can. So. I usually do bedtimes, and uh, she said, I know you really want, you're looking really looking forward to this game. Just go ahead, and I'll take Evan to bed. You watch the game. So, you know, I have kind of like stances that I get into as I watch the game, right? Like the closer to the edge of the couch that I am, the more intense the moment is. Bills are driving, ready to punch one in, make it a goal line stand, things like that. She came downstairs, and she came downstairs probably maybe 10 minutes after the hit. So he was still, they were, He's on the ambulance off the field by that point. She came down and I was sitting on the edge of the couch and she said, you know, oh, you know, how's the game going? And it was like I, I kind of like processed in real time, you know, the injury, the hit happens. You watch the hit. It's an innocuous hit, right, which is maybe the most terrifying of, of all of this is fairly innocuous hit. I see him pop up before they cut away, you know, so it's another big gain. And then. You know, they, they say, oh, Hamlin's down on the field. And my, my knee-jerk reaction is what it typically is when I see an injury is, oh, we just lost Taron Johnson. We can't afford against this Bengals team to lose another member of the secondary. Who's even behind Hamlin? He's already in for Hyde on the season. And then it's they go to commercial break, they come back, and he's still hurt. And it's like, oh, okay, so this, is, this must be bad then. Then they go to another commercial break, and they come back, and he's still on the field. And they haven't shown the replay. And they haven't done much other than kind of pans of the field and things. And it's, you know, players crying. And now it's now it's this is bad. Yeah. Right. I mean, when it comes to neck injuries, head injuries, these guys have become and the fans as well have become somewhat numb to that. And there's not crying on the field and there's not Stefan Diggs mouthing. Oh, my God. Uh, on live tv with tears so when you see that both teams you see that and it's what's this is not something i've seen before what's the image that's most vividly because we all have one it's if you were watching it if you were watching it unfold everyone i've talked to has some image seared into their brain to me it's they showed it once hamlin stands up and he f- just goes back. And so, he kind of falls into Mixon. And Mixon turns and sees him and points. And immediately you can see him look to the sideline and point. And whenever whenever the Bills players, an injury happens and they wave to the sidelines. That's, you know, commonplace. Mm-hmm. When the opposing team is calling to their sidelines, this guy needs somebody. That's that's another level. And that's, you know, that that's kind of what we saw and you know, again, we we I think what was so jarring and, and Ty talked about it when when he kind of did his thing is that we're we're numb to the neck injuries, we're numb to the the back braces, we're we're numb to the ambulance rides. One of the reasons for that is is as I've processed this, as I've realized it's because there's closure in, in every case I can think of that happening, the thumbs up. There's always some kind of, okay, this guy's going to be okay. 
you know, he so may, you, you know, he may, maybe, maybe there's, you know, maybe it's a Kevin Everett situation. You know, obviously that's that's horrible, and you hope that never happens. But there's a thumbs up. There's a this guy knows where he is. He's got people with him. He knows he's going to be taken care of. And then this is maybe the first time I can think of that that didn't come. And that to me was the most. It's the first time I've ever seen an injury on a football field and a guy carted off ambulance where I legitimately did not know if he was going to be okay. And this is it. It's jarring because it's different. Now, I'll say this. The reason I asked those questions about where you were and what your thoughts were is because your reaction isn't that. The people listening to this podcast, your reaction was not that much different from theirs. And I am positive because I know I feel it. There's almost a shame. Yeah. That you you hold in your chest afterwards and you walk around with because you think back and go in that moment how could I have been so callous just to be like a human being got hurt to the point where they needed medical attention and my first reaction was all right oh, what 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 comes next right we already lost Johnson we really can't afford to lose one more you know you take yeah. a look back and you what you see that it really did for a moment you dehumanized that person oh, absolutely and it's it's the thing that i kind of want everybody to walk away from out of this is that it's 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 not that it's okay but it's that it's human mm-hmm. we all did it there was a lot of people who it's because the game and just the way we watch and the way that we celebrate these players and the way that we think about them has conditioned us to think that way because to your point, this has never happened. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it can't. And sure. it doesn't mean that that is the right way to think about this. Especially not for a guy like Damar Hamlin. And especially not when you realize his family's there. His, I mean, for me personally, it was Reggie Gilliam. Reggie Gilliam, grief-stricken tears, racked with grief. And being hugged by Mitch Morse. Like, I... For reasons I can't explain, that is the thing. That if I close my eyes, I can still see it like it was happening in front of me. And maybe it's because that's a guy who, just based on the, what he does for a living, it's a man with no fear. Mm-hmm. He's one of the toughest guys on our football team. And yet, the devastation that he can't hold in. And then you sit back and you think about it. You go, that's grief. Like, and then you almost do feel a certain amount of shame about why didn't I feel that level of grief? Even though he's not my teammate, he's not my, but he, but he's, we'll talk about it, but. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, you know, we heard Ryan Clark at the beginning of the show and just, you know, get a master class from him and you hear the, the tropes that everyone uses, you know, these guys go to war and they're willing to die for this sport and they're willing to go out there and lay their lives on the line to play. But I think at the end of the day, within their heart of hearts, I, I don't know that any of them actually think that they're ever going to die playing no. football, right? Because the last time so, it happened was what, in the 70s? One of the f- things I did is I'm just trying to, you know, the night's going on and I'm piecing this together in my head. And I'm, I reached out to Reed, Reed Ferguson. And I was just like, I know you're not okay. I love you. And we kind of went back and forth a little bit. And I'm just like, look, I, cause I keep thinking about what I, and I can't remember who, if it was Cam Hayward, if it was a journalist, I don't know who said it, but someone said about Franco Harris, the late Steelers, great Franco Harris, 
who just had a, a game play, uh, basically a game played in his honor. Right, yeah. And they just made the point that why did he have to die before we honored him like this? He's a cornerstone of our franchise. He was important. But we're all important. But why did it take him having to pass away for us to give him his due? And the lesson in there is supposed to be appreciate these guys while they're here. Appreciate everybody while you have them. Don't posthumously give somebody accolades. So I reached out to Reed and I just was like, I just want you to know that not not because you're a football player, not because you play for my team, but because you're one of the best men I've ever met. And that holds a lot of gravity for me. And then I went home and I got home and my wife had been talking to Reed's wife and she's obviously grief stricken because she never envisioned a world where her husband might not come home one Sunday. It has, and it was like that's that conversation is what it dawned on me that these are moments that change the way you watch this sport. Damar Hamlin, I, again, I'm not trying to talk about him like some kind of a martyr. He's a man. Mm-hmm. He's a man who's fighting for his life right now. But this situation, you know, I think about like a couple weeks ago during the Jets game, during our podcast, I talked about how there was a family that came to the stadium to watch the game. Uh, Nick, Sophia, Nikki, his daughters. I find myself thinking, you know, how does he explain? They're old enough. Mm-hmm. They've been to games. They know what's going on. Sure. They how do you have that conversation with them? Explain this situation to them and watch the impact it has on them and changes their relationship with the game. Mm-hmm. Maybe for a lot of us, this incident has changed our relationship with football and how we watch it. And a part of me almost thinks that thinks that maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing that something like this does reframe the way we see these guys and the way that we watch the sport. And I mean, for my own purposes, uh, I can tell you this. I'm not a guy who, obviously, there has been a lot of prayer and a lot of things offered up for DeMar Hamlin and his family and everything else. I'm not a person who prays regularly or at all. I'm, I have a very complicated relationship with religion. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, my wife, she, every night, and so does my son. Like, we walk him through it. In fact, he likes it when I do it with him or I walk him through it. For me, it's just, it's, I don't know. I've, I was in and then life happens and you find yourself in a weird spot where you're just, I don't know. I, and I, I think I even tweeted about it. I was like, most of my conversations with a higher power are more of an argument than they are. And so I, f- but even I found the ability to take a knee and pray on his behalf. Yeah, and I think, you know, you talk about this changed the way that people look at this. And I I think there's, you know, there's something to that. And, you know, you listen to, uh, I mean, we've we've had these conversations, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. the the, the moral and ethical conundrum that is watching the acquisition of of property through violence. And you can't make this sport safe the way that they play it. And 
you know they've the, they've taken so many strides and yet it's still yeah but then then in, in one season you get to a tongue you know with his hands you know seized in front of his face because of a I severe concussion and you know that spurned the conversation of what what is it going to take if not that right and you know with as polarized as this country is, as, as and then as and then as divisive as sports tends to make things, to read Twitter on Monday night into Tuesday reminded me of everything that was it, that is great about social media, despite all of the things that we bemoan social media, because Twitter was a place and social media in general was a place where it finally was being used for what it was meant to be used, which was groupthink, group conversation. And to a man, I mean, obviously there are, there are troll accounts everywhere there, you know, but, but never have I seen the NFL community. So united behind a cause of we're talking about a person. Let's not talk about a game right now. Let's, let's not make this game up. Let's cancel to a person check marks, purchased or otherwise you know people with a hundred thousand followers people with three followers all said this this is a moment where let's not talk about the game let's Let's come together behind these guys a minute and let's give these guys time to do what they need to do the hell with the game let's figure that out later the important thing now is let's suspend the game and let these guys go home to their families and that you know i think that's the first time again it's the first injury that i can think of it's the first time that i've ever seen it to where everyone was united under a commonality that wasn't this is awesome to watch because it's a great super bowl game and you know it's it's down to the wire it was about a a human being on the football field reality thrust into our escape from reality that is football that's it and so it's in that way that this almost all feels stupid like me sitting here behind this microphone doing this tonight just the trivial nature of the bullshit that we do here every week chris well to your credit it's always stupid (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm I'm trying not to get choked up, and I very much appreciate you making like that's thank you. I like that's it. I just we talk about that sense of shame you get because you, it's human nature to be self interested, and it's it's human nature to go well. What about me? What about this? I had I had a guy who I and I don't I'm not mad at him who texted me about the the fantasy football championship he and I were playing against each other. We're the only people left with players. We have significant players left. And he starts texting me in as it's unfolding about what we're going to do. And I texted him back and I was like, man, you know what? It's it's 500 bucks. That's the split. You just I'm the commissioner. <laughs> I'll do what I want. Guess what? You win. Yeah. Calling it cuz I don't want to think about it and I don't want it on my conscience. The price tag for me to sleep at night it's a lot steeper than that. Yeah, it's it's the yeah, and I think you know you you talk about the, the trivial nature of of what this is, and you know you've you've done a you know a fairly Drew Gear job of of self deprecation up until this point, but it's important to remember that you know your voice is here. There are going to be people that listen to this um, to to the, to where your words aren't trivial, right? I mean, again, everybody everybody processes differently, and sometimes people are just looking for someone to help them with a hand guide them through their well, processing and, and that's it and so i guess talking about all this the, the, 
I just want everyone who hears this to understand that at a base level, the horror, the fear, shame, maybe maybe a little bit of despair, just of that moment, and all the moments that have followed, it's all over the players' faces. Yeah. You see it and hear it in other people. It's shaken something they believed in. There's a family that's just destroyed over this. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. We're all feeling these things and thinking this way together. Just like those players who were huddled together on a knee in the middle of Paycor Stadium with tear-stained faces and just these haunted looks in their eyes. And just like them, we as fans and as a city, we're not alone. Because if anything has come out of this, it's, it's that it's the first time I've seen humanity trumping competition and tribalism. Tribalism, it, it's one of the cardinal concepts of sports. Yeah. It's meant to be a negative statement but it's the truth, right? Like this is this is it's it's ugly, because for every example I can find of an opposing fan that shows up and has a beer at my tailgate, and they're like, "Oh wow, man, thanks. This is cool. You guys are being cool with us." I can find you five more of someone being treated poorly that day just because they chose to wear the wrong colored T-shirt with the wrong logo on the front of it. Yeah, that's one of the. Inf- Fortunate effects of tribalism and when you talk about it in terms of a game like football that like I said before property acquisition through violence I don't know I I guess I just I could envision a world where no one was moved by DeMar Hamlin's play where no one cared or that it was very easy to go well that happened in Buffalo it's the smallest market in the entire NFL and we, you know, good luck to them. Hopefully they figure it out. That's the cynic in me. And yet we get to watch this in the wake of this horrific accident, an entire sports landscape, and not just the abstract idea of people, but guys like us sitting here in this room tonight rallied behind DeMar Hamlin and his family the Buffalo Bills franchise and the entire city of Buffalo. I don't know that I can recall an incident provoking a response so uniquely unifying across so many barriers like this one. Can you? No. I look at the even even in the moment, the Bills and Bengals coach coming together on the field. That's that's leadership. Like what? Zach Taylor had this to say, his quote, when I got over there, the first thing McDermott said was, I need to be at the hospital with DeMar. I shouldn't be coaching in this game. Zach Taylor was like, he, that, that's, that showed me who he was. Yeah. And then to know that, like, I think about how they took that phone call from the league together. Let's talk about that. The, the idea that in a game, a football game, with as much on the line as there was, you would have an opposing head coach, team captains, and the owner of the Bengals inside the Bills' locker room 
that seems like if you had told me beforehand, I would have told you you were crazy. There's no circumstances that could ever bring about a reaction like that. Yeah, and, and Zach Taylor talked about that today in his press conference too, right, where he said my captains asked if they could come go and talk to the Bills captains. And I, did, I didn't know if it was a good idea given the circumstances. And he said, and as soon as I saw them interact with each other, I knew that we had made the right decision to let them get together. And it was, you know, you talk about, again, I mean, it goes back to all of these these tropes that we use when we talk about sports because it's such a disconnect from reality, right? These guys are leaders of men and they're generals on the field and they're, you know, this and that. And, and a lot of coaches through throughout the years, I mean, it's, it's, it's what you do as a head coach, right? I got my players backs and I, you know, it's that coach speak where they talk and they don't really say anything. Um, th- this is one of the few opportunities where you legitimately got to see these guys be leaders of men and, you know, because trotting them out and leading them out of a tunnel to go play a game, that's not being a leader of a man, right? Being a leader of a man is, you know, we're a family. I care more about my players than I do about the game. I care about, you know, we've heard Sean McDermott say, I care about making my guys the best versions of themselves better when they leave than, than when they arrived. Yep. And for him, the first thought in his mind was, this isn't right for me to be thinking about getting back to playing a contest doesn't matter his his first Man's his first thought and and i've always and credited not just a man my guy and i've always i've always credited mcdermott because he's one of the few coaches who every time a player's down for any consistent length of time he goes out there right and that's it's such a little thing that you know i don't know if he gets enough credit for but that was when that was another telltale sign that something was bad when, when he was knelt down with that the look on his face it was reed ferguson has gone on record and told us on this podcast that when he was on the practice squad he never actually he was a part of the organization he never actually spoke to rex ryan when sean mcdermott first took over the team in 2017 even though reed hadn't officially made the roster yet he one day just at lunch sat down with reed and was like, I don't know you, so let's talk. And it was a half hour of just, and he's like, and it didn't feel like an interview. It didn't feel like an inquisition. It was just, he genuinely wanted to get to know me because he needs to be connected to the guys that he's going to. And you wonder how guys like these find, guys like Zach Taylor, how has he found success in a place that's never known it? Yeah. How has Sean McDermott turned Buffalo into a winner? It's because they're leaders. Yeah. And then you think about what you saw on the field. Our current, like his team, DeMar Hamlin's teammates, and that leadership on display. Hey, Chris, stop me if you've heard this before. Stefan Diggs is a diva, and it's going to go terribly here in Buffalo. Yeah. Who, who was the first person at the hospital? Hey, Uber to the hospital. He was like, I'm not waiting for a bus. I'm not waiting for a transport. I got I got a few dollars. I can get there. And got into a fight with the security guard <laughs> the about security trying to get guards. in. You know, and, and yeah, I mean, and he was the guy when we all kind of thought that the NFL was going to do the NFL thing and make them play. He took his he, stuff up and took a shower. He was like, I'm not going back up there. But, but at the, you know, when they were talking, you know, that five-minute warning, wherever that came from, right? Um, Diggs called the entire team together and was trying to rally them, right? I mean, he was trying to 
get them ready to roll again. And it was, you know, he, he understood in the moment that that's what his team needed. And then as soon as they didn't need that, he took his pads off, went to the locker room, and his focus was then getting to the hospital to be with Damar. And that's that's a leader, right? That it's it's servant leadership. It's it's doing the role that nobody is willing to do in the moment, even though it's not your role. Yep. I think about Mitch Morse. Like I said, Reggie Gilliam. Uh, I saw Devin Singletary, and it's obviously they're so much shorter than him. Like it just it it almost looks like a father hugging his kids. But it was. It stuck out to me how many of them gravitated to Mitch Morse Mm -hmm. and how many of them like that's how you know where you rank is who turns to you, how people see you. You know, I last week I was talking about Chris last week we were on the pod and I was talking about clearing people's driveways in my neighborhood. Yeah, there's this concept and it was it was like I don't do it because I want like I don't talk to these people. Yeah. <laughs> I, and in fact, I don't want to because we're not friends. But what it is is that if you're if you're in need, I also want you to know in the back of your head there's somebody here who has it. Who I'll be here. I'm around. And there's leadership, like there's always this thing I've thought about leadership. It's like you can't stop catastrophes. You can't have a plan for every scenario. But you can tell who's a leader because they're the ones who are kind of the glue that keep everyone together afterwards. After a catastrophe, after a disaster. Those are the guys who, whether it's through words, whether it's through action, whether it's just, like I said, something as simple as just giving Devin Singletary a bear hug and just holding him while he cries, that's a leader. And so for all the people who, you know, you, you, why is Mitch Moore still here yet? This, this is why. Mm-hmm. Sean McDermott's a leader, but this team has leaders. Yeah, and I think, you know, you and I have talked about, we talked about it in the offseason last season, but what we felt the team was lacking, you know, that 2019 loss or 2020 loss to the Chiefs in the, you know, in the, in the, in the uh, AFC title game. Mm-hmm. What, what were they missing? And it was like, well, they were missing guys that were going to go out and lead the right way, right? With mm-hmm. physicality and, and things like that. And they've got that now. And that's kind of where you talk about the window, right? They've got this, well, this, the, the team built the way it needs to be built, not only from a skill position standpoint well, but from a but emotional from a mental a and team just a, they're they're all teammates and that and they're and they're brothers and, and i guess goes thing a long is, way you can talk about building a team that'll win on paper right what the bills have done that i think they should be commended for is building a team that'll win at life yeah because they're a brotherhood and you saw that on display i mean there's it it made me feel good watching them. And then you watch the trickle-down effect of that. The trickle-down effect of Joe Burrow embracing just the most distraught Josh Allen I've ever seen in my entire life. You have Bengals fans mixing with Bills fans at candlelight vigils outside the hospital where DeMar Hamlin's being treated. I saw a video today of in the stands, Bills fans and Bengals fans like in unison doing the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, I mean, just that... You know what it's like in the stadium. Oh, yeah. I mean, as contentious as it can be. I mean, we're there for the Dolphins game and yep. for all these games that we know are going to be rock fights, right? Yep. And how maybe you're not cruel to the other team, but you're certainly not 
making things comfortable for their opposing fan base. I don't want to give you a hug. That's for damn right. sure. But in this moment, it brought everyone together. This tragedy brought the best out of everybody involved. And it's the it's the farthest thing from if again as a cynic I couldn't have prognosticated that and it it really does a lot to change the way I think and I view things like this and then for as much shit as I've given the state of Ohio the entire Cincinnati skyline lit up in Bills colors uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton just the response of the city of Cincinnati. I mean, I'm. They still have Skyline Chili, and I'm not going to forgive them for that. But God, I, I just, I feel like, like I said, it's, it's the, everyone recognized immediately that this was bigger than football. This was bigger than a game. It's bigger than a score. It's bigger than playoff standings. No one cares. Have you noticed? There's zero outcry about. You said there's always trolls. There's going to be a few bad apples in every small bunch, but there's been zero outcry about, well, what should we do next? Because it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And what I love is that the city of Cincinnati and a lot of Ohio rallied around Buffalo in that moment. And then you look, you go beyond that. Mike Tomlin opening up about during his press conference, just apropos of nothing. He didn't have to say a word. He chose to open up about his relationship with Damar Hamlin and about just, I don't know, the, the former Pitt alumni, Damar's college teammates, everybody opening up. And you could see how just how many people, just like our own Bills players and just like us ourselves as fans, were deeply shaken by this. And in response, came together for Damar. Yeah, you. I mean, not to interject, but you talk about a leader of men, Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin. I mean, it, it, I mean, let's not, you know, he's got an opportunity if they win on Sunday to, again, never have a losing record as a head coach. That's one. But two, you talk about a guy that cares about his players. I mean, the story that Ryan Clark tells consistently, and he told it again on Monday night where I think everybody knows about Ryan Clark's incident in, in Denver, right? He collapsed yeah. on the field, and it was, you know, he wound up losing his spleen, and, and, and it, you know, he... It tells a story about they were going back to Denver and he was desperately trying to play because of tribalism, right? He he yeah. desperately was trying to get back on the field. He put together a team of doctors and he put together a team of people that, that, that were trying to convince Mike Tomlin that I can play. I can do this in Denver. And they said five minutes into the meeting, Mike Tomlin stops and says, everybody get out of my office. <laughs> he looks at Ryan Clark and he goes, if you were my son, this wouldn't be a discussion. Yep. I gave you five minutes. You're not playing. <laughs> and and Ryan Clark talks about the relief that washed over him in that moment. Yeah, because he's like, this guy loves me. And it's like, that. it's bigger than the game. And Mike Tomlin uh, has always understood that. And I love that we have a coach who sees that. Yeah. Who is who is who who has that. And I love that DeMar Hamlin is surrounded by players who understand that. And you look around the league. It seems like everybody gets it. All 32 teams changed their social media handles to Hamlin's jersey. An, an uncountable number of players who maybe have never met Damar Hamlin tweeting or making public statements in support of him and his, just his family and his just devastated teammates. It even transcends sports. You have the Buffalo Sabres who are out of town 
They're in the nation's capital. They're playing a game against the Washington Capitals. And they do a moment of silence. Well, first of all, the entire Sabres team shows up wearing shirts and supported Demar Hamlin. They do a moment of silence in their stadium for him. And it's all because they understand this idea that if you play a sport here in Buffalo, you're basically one of us. Or at least like that's the that's the national narrative, right? Except it's not just a narrative. It's 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 reality. And we're going to talk about that. But you watch how that plays out. And it almost had a karmic feel to it. As you know, you have Sabres star forward Tage Thompson, who scores three goals, getting his 30th including the game winner, which came exactly three minutes into overtime. And it was his third hat trick of the season. Third hat trick of the season. Yeah, I, I, I quote tweeted that because, it, you know, the Sabres obviously did, you know, this one's this one's for you, Damar. And I quote tweeted that, and, you know, you talk about whatever your relationship may be with, with religion and, you know, all that. Um, I, t- I tweeted that and I said, some some things are too cool to be coincidental. And, I, I you know, it's it's just some things are just serendipitous i guess is the word that i I would use where it's like i can't explain it but that can't just be random happenstance no right i i don't know what it is but your third goal for your third hat trick your 30th of the of the season and you're you win it three minutes into overtime like that's that's not a coincidence i don't know you can call it whatever you want it's just incredible i mean and I think you know. I think a lot and, of it goes to, what, and I'm I'm more than comfortable talking about my struggles with that. But I don't feel like this is the venue. Yeah, no. But I, I think. Oh no! But here's here's what I'll say. I think that, like I said, there's something about all of this. I mean, you look at how it's. Chris, what did you say? So it was up to six point seven million dollars donated to Demar's charity. Yep. Some of the people donating are celebrities. They're super sure. Chris, you, you, who, who are you talking? Chris Jericho from wrestling? Yeah, Jericho donated, Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson, and Ciara, the Washington Redskins, Jim Tom Brady. Ursay, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm shocked Russell Wilson's didn't get intercepted. McCaffrey. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think yeah, but the, here's, here's the one that got me. Like, I'm at work today, and I literally had to walk away from my desk and just go stand in the bathroom for a minute and put myself together because... I'm scrolling Twitter and I see this screen cap because someone was going through, kind of looking at who was doing the donating. And one of the donations was from a 13-year-old kid. And it was $34. And he was basically just like, this is what I have from my allowance from the last couple months. I'm a football player. And I read that you want to use this to help other kids who don't have anything <sighs> yeah i mean it's 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 and, and, and the messaging around it um it has been powerful too because yeah. you know bill's mafia is notorious for stuff like this right and I, I think what really drove it home i saw somebody retweeted um pat's pulpit which is bleacher reports yep you know pat's only it's oh, yeah. our, our version of buffer rumblings right they they posted a, a link to DeMar's charity and said, we all know how Bill's Mafia handles situations like this. Let's help him out. And it's like it that transcends, I mean, it transcends football, sport. You know, it transcends, 
a game that happens 19 weeks out of the year, you know. It's, yeah. so, so remember when we were talking about the Franco Harris dynamic? Yeah. There's this tweet from Matt Perino last night. It says, Demar Hamlin's uncle, uh, during Glenn, said, outpouring of love from the world has been so touching. And the quote is, a lot of people don't see how much they're loved when they're alive. To see that he has a chance to eventually recover and see the love he's gotten, it's going to mean a lot to him. And then you look at the New York Post this morning. Demar Hamlin is on the cover of the New York Post with the headline, America's Son. And it's just, it is one of those things where you, you think about it in the aftermath and you go, there's so much good coming from this. And it's just terrible that it has to come under these circumstances. Why do we as people have this charity and this ability to rally around each other like this? And yet we only do it when something terrible happens. I don't know. It's just, it's something I've been wrestling with in my head since this, since it happened. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, as the, you know, I know you're the, you're the cynic. So trying to put a positive spin on things, yeah. I think, I think one of the, no, one this of the has things definitely pushed my, it's definitely opened my eyes to the fact that maybe things aren't as bad as I give them credit for. I, I'd like to believe that one of the things that people struggle with is, I want to give and I want to do the right thing. I just don't know who to give the money to. I, I don't know what to do with my money that, you know, what what charity is the right one to go to, what, you know, and things like that. And then tragedy strikes and you get a link put in front of you and it's, well, this is as good of a cause as any cause. Um, I just, you know, it's one of those things where you almost wonder if more people had read Ty Dunn's article back in 2011 when it came, or 20, 2021 when it came out. Got to know who DeMar Hamlin was from the get-go. Right, like would would he be, ha- would, would his GoFundMe only be asking for $2,500 or would it have been upped because it was being flooded with and donations ahead of the holidays, and this right? is the idea of it's, it's humanizing something that is dehumanizing by definition. Yeah. I think that there's a lesson to be learned here in this, but also you don't want to lose sight of, like in trying to find that lesson. You don't want to lose sight of the fact that there's a man whose life is on the line. Yeah, I think I think you know using and a family, well, and not just that, but a family. Like I, I, I just keep thinking about his mother. Like I, I don't know about you. I hugged my son a little bit tighter yesterday when I got home from work, and it. It's one of those things where I, I, I don't come from a warm and... F- There's no one who's ever going to look at the Gear family tree and go, oh, you know, the, the warm and... F- the warmth. The warmth that comes from the, the heart fuzzy, of that home. <laughs> the fuzziness of those people. Never. Yeah. But it's one of those situations where I hug my son and he looks at me and I'm just so happy that I have him. And I'm squeezing him and he looks at me and he goes... Now he's two and a half. And he looks at me and he goes, Daddy, sad? And I'm like, I can't hide this. Yeah. And I don't know where to park it. So we show up here and we do this podcast because I feel like I have to talk about it. Or else, or else. And I'm sure there's people out there who feel the same way. They just don't have an outlet for it. They don't have a microphone. They don't have two friends willing to sit here. Chris is actively trying to hide behind that TV because it, it makes him uncomfortable when I cry. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> 
Well, I think you know. I, I think we we talk about you know is this is this the right time and you know using tragedy and thing. I mean, regardless of circumstances, you know, between the article that Ty Dunn wrote and some of the other interviews that we've read from Demar, I think you know his his goal was to spread love and change lives and albeit through a tragic event you know i think self-reflection and introspection i think he would appreciate a conversation that talks about how can i be a better kyler just version of myself after this he just texted me thanking me for allowing him to come on here and talk yeah i mean you know i again it's it's, chris yeah allowing him to come talk on our podcast he's thrilled about it this is what i'm talking about like do you think he texts colin cowherd and thanks him for 100%. 100 percent. What the producer does as soon as he get off the line, the but producer does, but cuts does, in. But does Ty text Colin now, and tell him? Bro, I would assume yes. <laughs> I here's here's what I know. We got a DM, Chris. Now we're friends with Brett Coleman, EJ Snyder, another group of content creators who have a, a monster following, who canceled their shows this week because they were like, we don't even know what to talk about. We don't know. I don't know what they said. I don't know what they did. I just know that we got a random DM from a a fan of theirs who was just like, I don't know you. I'm not a Bills fan. I'm a bootleg fan, and they always speak highly of you, and I just feel like, you know, are you guys okay? Like, prayers for you guys, prayer for DeMar Hamlin. To check in on us. Just like th- th- you have no skin in the game. They've clearly never listened to your show before. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ridiculously small gesture, but it's stuck with me because it's further proof of what we're seeing play out over the course of this week. People who have nothing to gain from caring, opening their hearts to all of us in a time of suffering. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, before I forget and we get too far removed, Ty is not one that will toot his own horn no i very much encourage anyone to go out and subscribe to go long um the Substack is fantastic you get a you know at least a weekly email with an amazing article about somebody a lot of them are bills players if you're a bills fan a lot of them aren't bills players because ty has connections in you know green bay where he used to cover the team and things like that but if you're looking for a person who tells stories using sports football as a vehicle that's Ty, and that's he's tremendous in what he does. Um, he was on the Daily Show, or whatever the Daily ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre today. It's a fantastic interview as as he always does. Um, if you're looking for someone with a very grounded uh, opinion on things and a very uh, understand, he was at the game in Cincinnati. Um, I can't even imagine. Ty is a guy to definitely go check out because I'm, I'm a huge believer that, and we've talked about this in our group chat before with Spencer German, that we watch the, him and I watch the NBA, right? And the NBA, you're a lot more connected to players. And, and him and I have talked multiple times about why is that. And I think the big reason, one, is they're smaller rosters. The other reason is that these guys aren't wearing helmets. I listened to Dan Levitard this morning or yesterday, as I usually do because I'm a huge fan. Um, he made the comment that I didn't even know what DeMar Hamlin looked like That's until it. this incident. And, you know, I, I would, I would, it's bad to say, I would wonder how many 
Bills fans knew what DeMar Hamlin looked like with a helmet off until Monday night. And, and I think I would encourage people to, you know, don't allow the NFL to warp your views of humanity. Um, yeah, I'm trying to delicately say this. You can follow me on Twitter and, and hear my true reactions to the NFL. But the NFL is not the place to go if you're looking for... The NFL is a business and a machine. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, the NFL... What? The NFL and the most recent collective bargaining agreement, as much as they say that they care about players, the, the NFL in the last collective bargaining agreement took their disability payments that they give to players who are catastrophically injured from $22,000 a month to $4,000 a month. So, I mean, when we talk about what does the NFL do, the NFL is still one of the only leagues in, in professional sports that doesn't have guaranteed contracts. Um, they're one of the only teams that doesn't, they're the only leagues that doesn't provide any type of post game, co- post career coverage unless you've been vested, which is at least four years when the average turn rate on an NFL athlete is three and a half. Um, so, again, I would encourage fans to not take their lead from the NFL and not follow the stories that they get to watch pregame when it comes to the feel goods. Because, well, instead, uh, what you want to do is you want to try to get to know these guys in a more. You, like, you want to follow guys like Ty Dunn and you want to follow guys that are going to tell the stories because DeMar Hamlin is, by all accounts and everything that you've read and everything you've heard, a tremendous human being. And there are hundreds of DeMar Hamlins that play in the NFL that. You know, we may never get to know their names, and I would encourage people to get to know their names and get to know their faces and their stories because they're all powerful. And it shouldn't take something like this. It shouldn't take someone passing for us to eulogize them. It should take a catastrophic injury for us to recognize that, hey, this guy had a mission, and it, we should help him realize it that. It should take the six minutes that it would take you to read Tyler Dunn's article about him in 2021 when he was drafted. That's about it. That's That's probably the best way to say it. Now... Chris, if we're going to close this thing out, do you mind if I get on my soapbox? Hey, this is your show. I just make you, <laughs> I just make you sound. You are the season ticket holder. Yeah. Drew Gear. Chris, Chris. I just make you sound Chris, reasonable. First of all, I love you. Please don't ever say that to yep, me. Yep, that's right. Chris I love put, you. Chris puts the rock in rock pile. I love you. Yeah, sure. I... I guess that's one of these things that I've walked away from this with is that I need to do a better job of there's a difference between emotion and weakness and I need to start to learn how to navigate that. I'm a cynic. Painfully so. I I live my life assuming for the worst. I prepare for the worst both in situations and people. That way I can't be disappointed. And I leave just room so that outcomes can surprise me. And if they don't, it's all right. I'm okay. This outpouring of compassion and genuine humanity in the face of what is the Hamlin's family's worst nightmare being played out on national TV like this has done an immeasurable amount to restore some of my faith in humanity. The moments immediately following his injury were some of the worst I've ever seen with my own two eyes and just heard about in association with the game of football. It's 
like there, there's a mother scrambling from the seats to try to get to her son who might be dying on a football field. There's a football team that's just broken, helplessly standing there watching their brother suffer. Like we watched that play out in front of us. And it's yet another blow to a city and a sports fan base that's absorbed a lot of them lately. Yesterday, our friend, fellow podcaster and former Bills left tackle John Fina, went on Arizona Sports Radio, it was Fox Sports, 1450 AM, to talk to him about the state of things after DeMar Hamlin's injury. And he had this to say as part of his interview. Well, Steve and Jay, let, let me tell you, every time I go back to Buffalo, I meet the most wonderful fans of the Buffalo Bills who embrace me as I embrace that city, and I will forever be a resident of Buffalo and the people there. And this is just, I don't want to say just, this is another in a list of just really rough times that the city of Buffalo and Buffalo Bills fans have seen. Just the other day, five children died in a house fire less than a couple miles from where I lived. There was a horrific and just unconscionable shooting at the mm-hmm. tops not far from where I lived in Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, the owner of the Buffalo Bills wife, Kim Pagula, has had some very serious health problems that um, you know they're battling. And we've had just injuries left, right, and sideways. And you know, this is in no particular order. And then, of course, with the snow, that, that snowstorm hitting Buffalo, greater than 30 or 40 lives lost in that blizzard. It's been a very tough year for a group of people who could very easily just, just cash it in and say, I'm out. I can't take it anymore. But they continue to band together to lean on one another and, you know, support one another through various charities and acts of goodness and graciousness. And, you know, that to me is what's, what makes me a Buffalo Bills alumni. That's the proudest thing I am. You know, you can walk on the field and win a Super Bowl, lose a Super Bowl, or never go to the playoffs. But the type of people that you represent and that stand by you and now are standing for the players, it's really overwhelming. And, and, it, and it's league-wide now, too, with the support and hope and prayers for DeMar Hamlin, Hamlin's recovery. There you go, John Fina. This city, those men with the logos on the side of their helmets, that Demar Hamlin and his family, everybody's taking it on the chin right now. I think John summarizes it pretty succinctly, and there's he glossed over some of the gory details, which it's incredible to think that you could have this all inside of a singular year, just being a Buffalonian. It's just been so much in a short period of time for a city that, I don't know, you're already in the Rust Belt. You already didn't have a lot going for you. We already have a chip on our shoulder. John's right. There's a lot of people out there who would have folded up like a Walmart tent already. And yet, we persevere. We're still here. And we do lean on each other. And we do come together for each other. In these moments, we, we find a way to draw everybody close, and we find strength to move forward. It's kind of ingrained in us as far as who we are as a community. And we're kind of a city, and that can't be diminished because we don't let it. 
And for the first time in as long as I can remember, it feels like the whole world is actively trying to lift some of ours up in one of the darkest periods of their entire lives. And make no mistake about this, from GM to head coach to players, the Buffalo Bills are one of us. I think back to Deion Dawkins, who was just on CNN yesterday with Wolf Blitzer. Bills fan. Bills fan. Talking about the value of prayer to DeMar and his family and saying that money's nice. Pray. The money's nice, but we need your prayers. We need your positivity. And just kind of explaining it between himself and his fellow teammates. He kept calling me and my brothers. Whatever energy and positivity we have, we're giving to them. It's not about us. That's what this is. That's Buffalo. That's Buffalo in a nutshell. And it was Dion who wrote a letter to the Players' Tribune the day after the Bills lost to the Houston Texans in the playoffs. Basically telling us that what we saw wasn't the end, but the beginning of something. Because the players on that team looked at Buffalo like home. Looked at each other like family. And that they were going to put down roots here because this is where they all felt they belonged. Not only have they made good on that, but I don't think you could find an NFL roster or franchise that so closely emulates the city it represents than the Buffalo Bills. From coach to quarterback, fucking water boy. Everybody in that organization is, it's, they're us. They're not from here, but they're us. Damar Hamlin's one of them. You hear his story. You get to know him and you go, that's a Buffalo guy. That's a guy who just, he wants to do better for the people around him and he's willing to suffer in order for, in order to make that happen. That's Buffalo. That's who and what we are. I mean, you're talking about this, this team, you know, a collection of special athletes, quarterback, good natured, just this good natured gladiator is how I view him. Suffers a familial loss and the people of the city build an entire wing of a hospital to celebrate it to a young safety fighting like hell to try to make good on his promise to change the lives of hundreds of inner city PA kids. I just, they truly are an extension of who we are. That quote, when it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. That's these guys. You don't get to play here and get embraced by this community in this way. If you don't have the right mental and moral makeup not in the way that this group has. And DeMar Hamlin is just one more chapter in that story. And what he's been through and what he's what he's surviving here, and what he survived just to get here, and what he's facing now. Yeah, it's the stuff that movies, the stuff movies are made of that win people Academy Awards. And so now he's here fighting the toughest battle yet. And the entire city and most of the sports world has his back and the backs of the people he cares about most. That's special. It's encouraging. And I, I, I think it's inspirational if you allow it to be so. I just want to close this thing out by saying that I hope in the coming days we get word that DeMar Hamlin has improved and that he's bringing consciousness. And then in doing so, he can embrace his family. That he can take in 
the almost global support that they've received and see the way that the people in this city have rallied behind him. That he can feel this outpouring of love that not just Buffalonians or Bills fans, but the entire world has shown for his family and his teammates in this hour of need that they have. And that he can see that this outpouring of support from everybody and for the charitable endeavors that he himself made his life's mission. You know, trying to better the lives of young people and to be a role model. And realize he doesn't have to do it alone. He's part of a community now. He's one of us. As fans of football, just as human beings, we're ready and willing to help him do the heavy lifting because that's what a community does. And I hope that inevitably we get to see the day where someone can ask Demar Hamlin, where else would you rather be than right here, right now, about Buffalo, New York? And his answer is absolutely nowhere. I'm hopeful. I, I remain hopeful that through this we'll all grow as sports fans, as neighbors, as parents, as brothers, as people who care about the sport of football. I hope that we learn through this to care more about these guys when we have the ability to do it. I mean, Ryan, if there's, isn't that probably the most powerful takeaway from all this? Yeah, I mean... It it's uh, you know it's free to be a kind person. It doesn't cost you anything, right? So I mean, when when at the end of the day, you know, you got the the shirts from the bills and stuff. I mean, it's it's choose love, man, right? I mean, it's yep. it's just just wake up in the morning and just choose to be a decent human being. And if everybody did that, we would do some pretty powerful things as as a human race. That Hamlin quote is probably the best place to leave this. Guys, I appreciate you coming here, listening to us talk about this tonight because I feel like I feel like it's been constructive. I I hope you feel something. I hope that I hope that at least you've thought about something. That this helped you in some way. Guys, cheers. Hey, to Demar. I'm Drew Gear. That's Ryan Lasel. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rock Power Report.